we're going to have a really good weekend. And I'm, I'm just really privileged and I feel really honored that you would come and spend this time with us. And, and I know our people are going to be transformed by it. So we just welcome you, Greg. I don't know if I should say Greg, Pastor Greg, Dr. Greg. This guy's a really, really smart guy, like really SMRT. And, but you know what I love and appreciate about Greg and how he preaches is that um, anyone can understand what you're sharing. And I always feel, feel like there's heartfelt inspiration that comes from your preaching, even though you're a really stinking smart person. So that's really, really great. So welcome <laughs> and just have fun. Are you okay there? Yeah, I'm trying to get this session. I, I, I'll go ahead and keep that. I can just put my water on it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Got a little wall here. Look at this. If I had one more, I'd be shielded. It's so good to be here. I uh, really appreciate the invitation, and it's always fun uh, to hang out with Ruxy. He's one of my all-time favorite people. Kind of, you know, some people just really get uh, they're kicked just to be around, and he is. He's just uh, he's he's funny. And he's a blessing, and so you're gonna have a good time with that. Um, no, no, I, I don't know if I had the schedule right. Um, but I got a feeling that you're not that concerned with schedules. But, um, so, yeah, so the, 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 this was going to be a group of leaders, right? And so I was uh, talking on leadership. All right. So, and it, the Jesus looking God, I'll talk about that tonight. Yeah. Here, on leadership, here's the thing. Um, you know, when they wanted to start Woodland Hills Church, the denomination that started, uh, whose idea it was to start uh, Woodland Hills Church, um, they called me up because they wanted to plant this church in Woodbury, which at the time was one of the fastest growing suburbs in America. So, of course, they wanted a church there. And I had done some interim pastorates, and they'd gone pretty well. So they thought, well, how about if we just like, plant you in one place and um, uh, let, let the, you know, see what happens? The th trouble is, I, I mean, I said no because... I'd done all these church interim things, and the thing is, is the only thing about church that I like is preaching. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, well, and I have one virtue, and that is knowing that I'm not good at, at hardly anything. Uh, and I don't like spending time in things that I'm not good at, so I'm really good at deferring. And so, um, uh, but, but I, I didn't want to, I said, no, I don't want to pastor a church. And finally, the person came up with that idea. Of what would happen if all you did was the preaching and we have somebody else kind of serve as a senior pastor and take care of all that? I thought, that's a great idea. And it took me another six months to talk my wife into it because she had an idea of what a pastor's wife was you know, supposed to be like. And she didn't want anything to do with it. But eventually we started the church. Um, and I, 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 didn't, I have never, to this day, read a book on leadership. Here I'm talking to you about leadership. <laughs> I never, it's not the topic that interests me. I like talking about, you know, cruciform hermeneutic and Hegelian metaphysics and the increases of the actual occasion and process thought and things like that. Uh, so leadership just never, so we start this thing and it was insane. It, it, it exploded really quick. By the end of one year, we had a thousand people and it was just like, and, and, but the whole thing was just surviving from week to week. Like the next week is coming, the next week is coming. And it was just crazy, but it was wonderful. It was, you know, wonderfully insane. Here's the thing. Uh, for me, it's all been on-the-job training, so that's just kind of what I'm going to share here uh, this afternoon. I, kind of, you learn from your mistakes. But one of the, things, the first things that happened here was that the person that I was supposed to be uh, the top dog here, and I can share this here because it, you guys aren't going to go research and find out who it is. Um, <laughs> it, it, he began to be threatened by me. 
Like I, I was, you know, everyone comes referring to it as Greg's church because whoever's doing the preaching, they're going to refer to it as, and this other person is doing all this work but not getting any credit. And I would throw credit his way all the time. Like, you know, just every week, make sure I'm mentioning him and bring, but he began to um, feel threatened by that. And he then began to kind of undermine me. And when someone would refer to Greg's church, he'd say, oh, no, the reason why this church is growing is because of the structures that I put in place. And, and he began to, like, you know, cut me off at the knees. And, and eventually we had to confront this thing. Um, it, it was a sad situation where he ended up actually going to Woodbury because we ended up going into the city. Uh, but the lesson I learned from that is this. Don't go into ministry to get your ego needs met. This is lesson number one. <laughs> Uh, this guy had a need. He, see, the thing is, we, it's not bad to feel the need to feel important and to have significance and feel like you have worth. In fact, that's part of what it is to be a human being. Uh, that's a good thing. And I, every human being has that God-shaped hole in the core of our being. Where we, we need this unconditional love and worth and significance, a sense of importance, a sense that you matter. Uh, you could call it fullness of life. I like to refer to it just as we, we long for fullness of life. Every human being does. The question is, how do you get that fullness of life met, that need met? And, you see, if you're not getting it from God, your creator, and he's the only one that can satisfy that thing, but if, you don't get it, if you're not getting it from him, you're going to be trying to get it from something else. And you can do it in secular ways, you know, making your $4 billion or 19 houses or whatever, you know, accumulating stuff, trying to be famous, trying to, you know, just show what you got. Take whatever you have that's an advantage and you strut that stuff and you're trying to get worth. I think that it's what runs this world. Wars are fought because people are trying to get worth, feel important, feel like our country's the best and whatnot. And there's, there's religious ways of, of uh, trying to get that need met. Yeah. And it's just as idolatrous. True. It's just more dangerous because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah. Part, of, part of the religious idolatry is you can be over here looking at all those sinners over there doing the secular idolatry, but the idolatry you're doing is, is, is maybe worse. Right. It just looks a little better. It's, it's the re re religiously preferable kind. And you can try to get life from how good you're doing as a church planner, how great you're doing as a, you know, how much attention are you getting? How, how, how much applause are you getting? You can get worth by thinking that God's up there applauding you, that you're getting points with him because of how good you're doing. Right. It's, you might as well be on Wall Street earning the fourth billion dollars. It's just a secular. It's all idolatry. It's all idolatry. And see, this guy that we teamed up with, he wasn't getting all that need to feel a worth and importance and significance. He wasn't getting it met by God because he, now he's trying to get it from the church. And the minute you get to hold on to an idol, you're involved in some kind of competition because there's only so many idols to go around. You know, only one of us can be the sexiest guy in the room. Sorry, man. It, it, it's... In this case, I don't have much competition, but I'm saying, you know, it's, but it, so you're, 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 there's always going to be involved in competition. There's only so much attention to go around. So now he's in competition with me and this thing just could not possibly work. And sadly, he, he, he didn't get that need met even after we parted ways and, and see broken people break things. And this guy was just constantly breaking things, harming people. So lesson number one I learned is get all your life and worth and significance from Christ. And, and, and nail, lock that in. And it's not the kind of thing that you can do once and then coast on it. It's, it's a regular thing. Uh, we're, we're living down here in this war zone. It's a, it's, it's, it's a Normandy beach of cosmic war. And um, uh, you, you, you take hits along the way. And there's a downward pull on us. It's like the second law of thermodynamics. 
it's a constant downward pull, which is what you expect because the Bible tells us that Satan controls the entire world, 1 John 5, 19. He's the God of this age and the principality and power of this air. So there's, there's this oppressive force. And see, if we're not constantly getting fueled up, by the fueler, uh, by the one source. If we're not constantly drinking from that life, uh, uh, we're going to find ourselves being sucked downward. If you're, not, if you're not intentionally staying up, well, you get sucked downward and you don't even notice it. Especially when you're doing a lot of good religious stuff. You know, it, it can so easily happen that all the things you got to do, all the things you got to be accomplished, all the people that you got to talk to and all the controversies you got to do, that can begin, it's like that, that's your form of spirituality now. And the personal relationship gets winnowed away by busyness. So in the name of doing great kingdom stuff, we lose our connection to the king of kings. Uh, lock in the private time you have with, with Jesus and spend, I just call it, having a date with Jesus. Where you let him uh, look into your eyes. Here's the place where you can uh, turn your imagination over the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who testifies of Jesus. He's the one who points us to Jesus. And so just turn, turn it over to Jesus and, or over to the Spirit. And, and spend time just seeing Jesus say he loves you. Hear that. Sense that. Feel that. Experience that. St. Ignatius of Loyola is a 16th century monk. and uh, He was the uh, father of the Jesuits. And um, uh, he used to say, he used this phrase, when you pray, pray with all five senses. Get, get, that's where it's concrete and real and tangible and will really impact you. Uh, guard that time preciously because that, that's the fuel out of which the kingdom runs. Yeah. And it, it doesn't run any other fuel. It, it's, so Paul, you know, people wonder in, in 2 Corinthians 5, why do you uh, do the crazy things you do? You're acting like a madman. You had a nice cushy life over there. You know, Pharisee of the Pharisees. You could have had a nice life, but he gives it all up. He becomes a missionary. And shipwrecked and put in prison and beaten and all the stuff. So people are saying, this guy's nuts. But then in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul re responds to that. And he says, well, maybe for crazy, it's, it's for your sake. Uh, but as a matter of fact, it's the love of Christ yes. compels us. The love of Christ compels us. For we're convinced that if one died for all, then all have died. I'm going to be preaching about that Sunday morning. Uh, uh, it's a beautiful passage. But it was the love of Christ that compelled him. Yes. And see, when the, when, the, when the love is really there, when you're getting that fullness of God's love, that alone satisfies your need for worth and significance and lovability. That alone can give you your true identity. Uh, when, when, you, when you lock that in, now you become a, a wellspring of living water. And, and what you do now is done not to try to get something you don't already have, because you have already got all you're ever going to get. You got it. Rather, what you do expresses what you've already got. We do it out of, uh, sometimes put it like this, you either, you're either going to live your life out of a center of desperation trying to get full, or you can live your life out of a center of fullness, expressing the fullness that you've already got. And we're called out to live this fullness dance rather than this desperate struggle, uh, crying after idols. There's no idol more tempting, though, than, than religious success. And, and it can be as carnal as all get out with this nice religious veneer. I've gone to some... Uh, church planning conferences, and, and it's almost like there's this, you've probably been to some of these, sometimes there's like, you know, how big's your church, and how, how big's your offering, and how big's your church steeple, and how, da, 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 da. it's like, we don't need that, get your life from Christ, not by how big your steeple is, okay, here's the second thing I learned uh, on, in my on-the-job training, and by the way, I think it's always on-the-job training, I don't think I'm totally unique in that, uh, you learn as you go along, oh yeah, it's a little warm up here, it is. I never thought you'd come to Canada and be muggy in September. 
What's wrong with you people? This must be cold. This is, you're way up in the tundra. Uh, coming from Minnesota, I can relate to that. And by the way, if you're wondering why I don't have shoes on, I, I, I usually don't have shoes when I do teaching. And sometimes people try to read a mystical, spiritual meaning of that. Is it because you consider the ground you walk on so holy? <laughs> that sanctified space up there when you're preaching. It's like, no, I'm a sweat hog. And I, I get hot. And I don't like shoes. It, it, honestly, they tear up so much heat. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Here's the second thing I, 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 I learned early on. Remember, he's the one who builds his church. Amen. It's not your church. <laughs> Keep your hands off of it. Uh, it's uh, early on. I, I noticed as we're having this, this when we planned this church, um, it'd be so exciting when things were like really going well and it was growing and it was doing a lot of that. But then sometimes this happens in new church plants. All of a sudden, some people decide there's a new gig in town and they leave. And people that you thought were so stable and could count on them turn out to be total flakes, and they don't show up when they say they're going to show up. And it can be a very frustrating experience. You never realize how fickle human beings are until you try to plant a church. It is, it's an endeavor. But I'd be in a good mood when it was going well. But then if things started going south a little bit, I found myself kind of in a worse mood. I didn't have a skip in my step. And, 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 and so it's kind of like this roller coaster. At one point, the Lord really had to kind of straighten my head out, as he does on a rather frequent basis, because my head gets crooked. Um, and and he, the lesson was basically this. He showed me in, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, that Paul plants and Apollos waters, but it's God who gives the increase. And, 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 and so he says, okay, look, at your job is to plant the way I tell you to plant and water the way I tell you to water and be satisfied doing that and leave all the increase or the decrease to me. And that was so freeing. That was so freeing. So I... I, I my job is just to do what I'm told and, and, and to you know, pour my heart into that, do the one thing that I'm called to do. And, and if it results in four people, fine. If it results in 40,000 people, fine. But it shouldn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Of course, that presupposes that you're getting all your life from Christ. Otherwise, you're going to be getting by how the numbers are doing. But if you live by the numbers, you die by the numbers. If you live by the budget, you'll die by the budget. If you live by the building, you'll die by the building. Uh, get all your life from Christ. And whatever happens, happens. Um, it really encourages me that, you know, Jesus had crowds walk away. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you're, if you're preaching it straight, crowds ought to be on occasion walking away. You know, it blows me away. In Galatians 3, Paul uses it as an argument. He's, he's, he's making his argument against, uh, against those who are, are forcing Christians to undergo circumcision. I'm glad I wasn't around back then. And... Um, one of his arguments is that, it, he says, if, if I was still preaching circumcision, then the cross would have no offense. Right. It's like, well, obviously the cross is supposed to be offensive, so obviously I, that's why I don't convict people to circumcision. So there's always going to be an edge, and you're going to lose some people. But see, if you're getting life from how it's going, right. you'll always be putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, and not in a good way, but in a, in a, you'll be watering things down. Yeah. Uh, you've got to shoot for the lowest common denominator if you're going to you know, get the crowd and stuff. Right. He builds his church. Jesus says, Simon Barjona, blessed are you for what you've just said. Uh, and and I, I'm telling you that. You're Peter, you're a little rock. But upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades can't prevail against it. The church he's building, it's his church. And he, he's the rock it's built on. He's the one who builds it. And he's the one who owns it. And our job is just to then carry out his bidding. It's, it's amazing to me how often... 
And this is part of getting worth from how you're doing. If you're getting worth from how you're doing, well, then you try to own the sheep. You think that they're your sheep. And there was a guy that I uh, had heard sing this one time, an African-American man. And I just had a sense that you know, I didn't know anything about him. He was a guest singer in our church. And so afterwards, I started talking with him. And I said, have you ever thought about worship leading? Because the guy was just musically so gifted. Um, and and he, he said, no, I could never do that. It, it would be impossible. And he had, I could tell he had all sorts of lies in his head about a lot of things. And so I started to meet with him on a kind of regular basis. And I encouraged him to, uh, you know, rent some videos of people, and worship leaders. And, and I asked the Spirit, can, can you imagine yourself doing that? And started confronting some of the lies that were keeping him out of ministry. And to make a long story short, uh, we ended up hiring him as our worship leader. And he was set free. The guy was setting up machines someplace. He was like a little technician, manual job, but he's so gifted. He's like genius in music. Okay, so, so it was just a beautiful thing. He gets set free, and he's a worship leader to this day. I mean, it's just been beautiful. I get a call from his former pastor, uh, and this guy is not happy that this man has been set free and is now leading worship and all this other kind of stuff, that he's gotten free from all those lies. He's madder than a hornet because I stole his sheep. I said, dude, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he didn't belong to you. <laughs> this is the kingdom here. And, and I didn't try to steal anything. I just am trying to minister to this guy. I think I was supposed to, and I think it was supposed to happen. But how, how do you, see, you get this mine. It's like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. My precious. And your church can be your precious. Anything can become your precious. That sucks the life right out of you. It's his church. He will build it. Here's a third thing I have learned. And this is, this is, um, more recent, actually, in the last 10 years. But, you know, I noticed this at some point. That Paul, several times, he talks about how he's been laboring for people. And he doesn't want this labor to be in vain. And if you look at those statements, four times he does this, um, he'll, he follows it up by, by his, his concern is to present you fully mature in Christ on that day. I'm laboring to present you fully mature in Christ, uh, to present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord. He, 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 as a leader, he understood his responsibility. There's a, he really bore a responsibility for growing mature Christians. And I've always on some level knew that, but you know, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to know it. And, and uh, about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, you know, the older you get, the less you can tell time. It's flying by so fast, I can say last year, but actually it was 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's like, going cuckoo. So, long, long time ago, I, I, it all of a sudden hit me. And it's like, that is the bullseye. The crowd's not a bullseye. And it, if you're not getting the bullseye, but you're getting the crowd, what good is that? So what we found is that, that if you've got the right dog and pony show, you can get, build a big crowd. And you put a Jesus name on it, and you can get bigger. Um, that, that's not the challenge. If you just get the right kind of music, get the right speaker, get da 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 but the, We know the formula for this. Um, but it's, if you're not building Jesus-looking disciples, what good is it? Uh, it okay. so, so we've got to re-ramp our, our whole budget and everything to, to make 
disciples. Now, I don't know how it is up here in Canada. I think you guys are always a little more righteous and smarter than we Americans, but that's not saying much, all right? I'm just, it's, these days, it's not saying anything, okay? So, so I'm going to say about that. Although it's very refreshing to be up here, I got to say, just escaping for a while. It's, it, it's like, oh, it's, it's fresher air. It's like there's not as much toxicity to, up here. It's, it's, it's really refreshing. Um, what was my point on that? I, I was going down that rabbit trail for a while uh, for a reason. Uh, well, oh, yeah, you can build that big pony show. But in America, making disciples is really, really hard. Getting them to come and voluntarily every once in a while is, is fine, but to actually get pe people to become intentional about engaging in spiritual disciplines that form their character in a Christ-like way in a community of other believers is really hard. And, and, and what we learned is that, that you, you, I'm talking down in south of you guys, I, I don't know if it's true up here, but before we can get the kingdom into people's hearts and minds, we've got to get America out of their hearts and minds. Uh, because otherwise, it, it, as long as that, that America stuff is there, that they don't even notice the individualism, the consumerism, and all the rest. They don't even notice it. But what happens is that that becomes a filter through which everything gets interpreted. And so, yeah, they'll say yes to everything that you're saying, but they're putting it on a different peg than where it's supposed to be put. Uh, you know, it, it's one more thing that orbits their otherwise totally normal American life. And, and, uh, um, and so we, we, we developed a 26-long-week course, uh, two 13-week classes that are really uh, deprogramming. Uh, you know, to listen to Paul's teaching in Romans 12, too, that don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, the only way you cannot be transformed in, into the schema of this world, uh, the, the, the patterns of this world, he uses this term, suschematizomai. It has that word schema in it. Or you can think matrix, if you want. Um, the, the only way to avoid that is to be, to be in a community, of, have a subculture of people where you have a mission and you're helping one another grow in Christ. Right. And you have something like a New Testament church. It's, it's, it's absolutely vital. Yeah. But that, that takes a lot of resources. So you've got to get, the bullseye's got to be on quantity, uh, not on quality. But that's, that's so much easier said than done. Oh, sorry about that. Yes. A moment from dyslexia. Thank you for catching that. That happens. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's always pressure on you, especially, uh, in, I don't know how it is up here, but it can't be that different in a consumer-driven culture where, where everything, all the categories people have is that bigger is better. Yeah. And, and you just want to, you know, outdo the you know, competitor down the road. I mean, it's just, it gets all consumerized. Uh, the bullseye. The Lord did something with me around 2005 where I started to get cynical which is a, it's a disease for everybody, but for pastors, it's a double disease. Uh, and whatever happens, you have to fight that. Because uh, people can be very, very fickle. It, it's just, and, and we had had, some of you may know this, a, a, a time where I really had to lay down a line about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, because all these folks were trying to get people to vote a certain way back in 2004, and it was just... The church was so bought into the political regime. So I did this sermon series called The Cross and the Sword and basically ticked a lot of people off. Uh, had a mass exodus and got in the paper and things like that. Um, and, and that got me thinking, is this just a, a dog and pony show? Yeah. I, I, have you ever wondered, like, is this doing anything? You know, because it's, it's, you, you, you see people, you know, pray the sinner's prayer or they say amen to Jesus or they sign up for everything. And then as soon as there's any cost, they're gone. Like we had this, you know, we've always been really, a front burner issue for us has been racial reconciliation. 
And, and it's always been like front and center. We, we think where the kingdom is, uh, all the walls of hostility have to be torn down. Uh, they're already in principle torn down in Christ. And there's one new humanity now. And our job is to manifest that. Right. And, and so we'd be preaching reconciliation. And these folks would be like, oh, finally a church that gets it. And, and clapping and whatever. But then as soon as anything inconveniences them, these same folks turn their back. There's this one, one lady, uh, her, her daughter starts being interested in this black guy. Boom. She's out of the church. She's afraid of that. One of those cheerleaders. So you, you got to have stick to it in this titanium kind of character to press on uh, and be getting all your life from Christ to carry out a church thing because people can just so let you down. And so I began to really question myself. You know, we, we had a couple thousand coming at the time. It's like, how, you know, is this doing anything? Because I don't want my life to be an uh, overgrown religious dog and pony show. I, I, I like, like anybody else, I want it to count. I want to make a difference. I want to have a, make a splash for the kingdom. But if this isn't doing it, then maybe I'm supposed to be doing it somewhere else. Maybe like in social work or something. I don't know. Now, the Lord has slapped my hand or head around a little bit. And he reminded me that cynicism is a form of judgment. And I wrote a book on not judging. <laughs> so I had just written it, actually. So that was a little revelation. Uh, you, you don't get to put yourself in a position of superiority and look down on anybody. And then he showed me that Christ always had compassions on the crowd. He said he'd have compassion on them, even though they were fickle and they walked away sometimes. But he still ministered to them. And, and so he said, don't get mad at the crowd. They are just who they are. Just do what you're called to do. And, and let's say you have 3,000 people there and only 30 of them actually get it. Get it. Well, if it wasn't for the 3,000, maybe you wouldn't have the 30. And so, so celebrate that 3,000. Don't judge it. Celebrate it. And they'll grow at their own pace. And that was just a real freeing thing. But the, the bullseye isn't the quantity. It's, it's the quality. Final thing I'll talk about is uh, something that in, the views expressed by this guest are not necessarily those of Impact Church. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you have the right to be wrong if you want. That's fine. That's it. But I, I'm just going to testify about this, that, that uh, the Lord kind of made a virtue out of a vice. The vice is that I am utterly incompetent on anything organizational, uh, and not only incompetent, but I don't care, and, and I, I don't like working long-term with people. Uh, I, I, like, I love people, but I'm actually a strong introvert, and so after loving people and being out there, and I act like an extrovert, but afterwards I got a crash, um, and, and so... When I now am with my, I'm by myself at this church after this guy left, this is a bad situation because no, one, no one's going to take care of anything. So what we did is we put a team around it. Just some people who, who had you know, gifts in certain areas, and, and we, we just built a team there. Um, none of us knowing what the heck we're doing, and so it's always on-the-job training and, and things like that. And it's been one of the most frustrating experiences of my entire life. In fact, sometimes I've called up Bruxy to cry. It's like, this is just so hard. But I now am a tr firm believer in plural leadership. Good. In plural, oh, good. Okay. That, that you. <laughs> I, I thought, oh, we, we got an autocrat for a pastor. <laughs> You're in trouble now. No, it's just that um, I, I think every, every team needs a catalytic leader who can pull the best out of the team and keep it moving. But, but I, I picture it like you know, a, a pinpoint person moving this way instead of a power person moving down this way. Yeah. Uh, there's so, so many churches, and it tends to be the larger ones, uh, where the, the pastor's virtually a CEO. That's the CEO with maybe a little bit of theological training, but you run it just like 
like a, a, some kind of major corporation, and everyone understands that their job is to carry out this top dog's wishes. So to carry out his will. There's only one willer and one thinker and one planner, at least ultimately, in these CEO churches. And the word is a decree, and everyone rushes to carry it out. And, and the more efficient you can do that, with the more teeth to it, the, the better the operation is going to run. And you can build a, a Christian McDonald's with that. I mean, you can franchise with that. You can just do a lot of cool corporate CEO things with that model. <sighs> trouble is, well, there's a lot of trouble with that. Uh, one is you get a cult of personality, which is only as strong as the personality, and that never lasts. Another thing is that nobody gets to use their gifts except for this one person. Everyone else, there's no, whatever creativity you've got is just going to be, you know. But the other thing, and one of the main things that I've seen is that a plurality, well, I think it's an intrinsic good. You know, that we're made in the image of the triune God, and I think everything works better when done in relationship with others. Everything should be done out of a relationship. Um, that's how the world's supposed to operate, not in these little isolated units. But we do things relationally. And that's challenging in a fallen world. There's been times I want to just beat up my executive pastor, and I would never do that. I'm a pacifist. But, but it's just like I get so frustrated. But man, that has grown character. I, I, I never thought patience would be a, a virtue of mine. It's still kind of not, but compared to what it used to be, I used to always want things done three days ago, and, and now I've learned that, you know, things take a lot of time, especially when I'm working with these two people uh, who are, they always have their foot on the brakes. I'm like, fast forward, you know, and they're, having their, and it's a good thing because we've avoided a lot of crashes, uh, but I am still looking for a, a catalytic leader there. I have found, and this is the last thing I'll say, I, I found that, that, and here again, these are my views, not necessarily yours, and people can dispute this biblically all they want, but... I am so glad that we have women in our top leadership, on our board, and, and our pastoral staff. I, my executive pastor is female, and, and she virtually runs the whole church. That's all, all, and she has got just the exact right character. She's ne, she, she knows her identity. She's never trying to get limelight or feeling in competition with anybody. But, but um, there are so many things. You know, statistically speaking, generally speaking, women can have a different perspective than men. And, and that means we both have blind spots, which is why we need both. Have you thought about this? Have you considered this? And there's so many things that have gone right that I think would have been disastrous if we wouldn't have had uh, females in the room and sharing their wisdom and their insight. So God bless the females. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys.